is Bo Buchanan, Arizona Lodge number two, and I'm here speaking on the level with Brad Babinski. Brad, why don't we start out by just tell me your full name and the name of your home Blue Lodge and any other Masonic organizations you might be a part of. Uh, my name is Bradley John Babinski. My mother lodge is Bay City Lodge number 102 in Oregon. And I'm currently a perpetual life member of Arizona Lodge number two in Arizona. You, you were raised in uh, in Oregon? In Oregon, as a, under the ancient uh, ways. Oh, so raised just now, going to be start experiencing that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so when, do you remember when you first heard of this thing called Freemasonry? Yeah, I, uh, I first uh, became aware of Freemasonry back in the... Uh, in the late, uh, or actually the early 80s, uh, one of our brothers uh, that just recently passed, uh, Joe Cortez, um, I, uh, I dated his daughter for about four years, and uh, he uh, he introduced me to the to the concept of Freemasonry, and I I really didn't get involved at that time. I had other other priorities in my life, um, you know. Riding a motorcycle, and <laughs> having a young man yeah, yeah, pursuits. Yeah, yeah. So, how long was it from when you first heard about it or learned about it till you actually joined? Uh, probably, uh, let's see, um, twenty years. Twenty years. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what what went on during that time? What was your was your exposure intermittent, or was it just one day you heard about it, one day you decided, boom, I'm just going to join? <clears throat> I. Um, I was uh, I, I owned a, uh, a an electronic repair shop in Oregon uh, back in the uh, mid 90s, and um, I went out on a service call one day <clears throat> to uh, deliver a TV that a customer had brought in for repair. And when I uh, went into his house, I noticed that he had a display case with uh, Masonic. Uh, paraphernalia, memorabilia, you know, pins and gavels and, you know, aprons and that type of thing. And uh, I uh, I remembered Joe telling me, uh, Cortez, uh, you know, if you want to be a Mason, you got to ask one. And I just happened to cue on it, you know, I turned to, um, I remember the guy's name quite vividly, his name was Bob Wiskoff. Um, at that time, he, Bob was a retired Portland police detective. And I asked Bob, I says, well, so how do you, how do you become a Mason? And he, he looked at me and said, well, you just did. <laughs> and, um, from there, um, one thing led to another. I was, uh, went through the typical investigation, um, both of my top uh, first and second line signers, Bob Wiskoff, uh, being a Portland police detective, he was my top line signer, and Wallace Ommel, uh, both who are now dead. Um, He was an Oregon State Trooper lieutenant in the Oregon State Police. So uh, I had, um, uh, to say the least, uh, my investigation was... Definitely uh, thorough. thorough. (laughs) So, uh, uh, and one thing led to another. Um, I went through the degrees in Oregon. It's um, ancient long form. And um, 
it's a very, uh, very extremely ritualized there. Uh, my mother lodge was a tuxedo lodge, and um, it, uh, I, uh, it was a also a, um, a, uh, it was a daylight lodge, and uh, so I, unlike with Arizona Number Two being a, an evening lodge, um, I was able to experience the daylight portion on Saturday mornings and the camaraderie that goes along with it. We had uh, the breakfast and. And one interesting thing that they do in Oregon, or at least at, at Bay City Lodge, is they had a, um, a um, uh, after lodge, everyone would convene down to the dining hall, and we'd all sit around the table, and the master would act as the toastmaster. And we would go around the table, and um, each, each brother would... Um, would give his two cents on what was going on in his life or what he was thankful for or how what what he was appreciative uh, towards uh, Freemasonry or what his feelings were at that particular time. And um, I'm surprised that they don't do that here. I tried to get it uh, done um, uh, as my uh, my first year as master, and I found that people just didn't have the time to do that. And, you know, everybody wants to go home at night, so yeah. So it's like they've had a long day. So yeah, and uh, basically that was my introduction to uh, Freemasonry. I uh, I went through long form, uh, full form proficiency, and uh, it, w- it was interesting. I I remember um, on my third degree. Um, during the the ruffian section, um, uh, uh, I I was being pushed hard and I pushed back very hard and I remember that I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it was interesting. I was told that afterwards, like, hey, that was pretty surprising the way you reacted. Hey, pal. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, it's understandable. Yeah. So, so what was it that so after that big gap? And then, then meeting these uh, uh, police officers, and they they were your signers. And then you joined. What was it that made you want to join? What was it that drew you in? Um, you know, uh, when when I when I say that my first experience to masonry was with Joe Cortez, that's not entirely true. I uh, my my first experiences with masonry. Uh, my, on my mother's side is a very long history, uh, her being uh, Scotch. Um, uh, my uncle back east, was uh, his name was Bill Wallace, William Wallace. And, um, and he was uh, past master uh, of his lodge in Maine. And um, so I had an introduction there. And then when I, I met Joe, we talked about You learned about it. Yeah, yeah. we learned. You knew you had it. a connection before, but then you learned right. about it. Okay. And then I learned about it. And then uh, uh, when, uh, when I actually asked to become a Mason or learn more about it, um, I figured, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I might as well, uh, I might as well you know, take a chance and see what it's all about. So. One of the interesting things I found about you is, uh, you know, when you announced the year that you were uh, a master, you always say, what is it, how is it you say it? The year of our Lord. Years of our Lord, 2005 and 2009, yeah. Where does, what's the history on that? Where does that saying come from? Or why do well, you say that? Um, 
I I do you know I'm I I, you know, I don't consider myself to be an extremely religious man, but I am a firm believer in uh, in uh, the New Testament. Um, you know, I was raised um, in a pretty religious family. Uh, my mother, um, you know, I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness, so you might think, well, you know, this guy, you know. He's got a new. He believes in the New Testament, where JWs are mostly Old Testament, mm-hmm. and um, they don't really look at Jesus Christ as as being God um, come to earth. Like the Catholics, I was raised Catholic. Like the Catholics, right. do they view it as an embodiment? Right. right. And um, and I uh, I I knew that there was something wrong with that. And so when I, as I grew older, I, I became more aware of of Christianity and um, the role that it has played um, not only in society in general, but in the founding of this great nation. And I do know that the old English, when the old English uh, said their prayers or or referred were in the the pomp and pageantry of the moment they when they were referring to time they referred to the years of our lord um being the lord jesus christ and um uh that's basically where i get where that comes from so for you it's like a nod to the past yeah it's a nod to the past um it's a new testament reference um and uh you know i just showing my uh my my uh, i can't say undivide un un uh, undeparted devotion to jesus christ but um you know i i i you know i i pray before i go to sleep every night to my lord and savior and if it makes me a better man it makes me a better man if it uh if it helps me feel good, that's what it's all about. You, you touched on something we talk about in masonry a lot. We talk about in masonry, we take good men and we make them better. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, has masonry made you a better man? Oh, without a doubt. If uh, if you had uh, if you had known me prior to me becoming a mason, you'd probably think, "How did that guy ever become a mason?" <laughs> You know, John Crum, God rest his soul, such a good friend, past past grandmaster of the jurisdiction of Arizona. I don't know if you ever met John Crum. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> such a such an eloquent speaker and an absolute truth thespian, and one hundred percent ritualist. And John came to me one day when we were it was after lodge. And we were in the ante room talking, and John John was a biker. He rode a Harley Davidson, and uh, just in the matter of conversation, John said, "You know, Brad, you're about the closest thing we will ever come to a Hell's Angel joining this lodge." <laughs> and I, I told him, "I says, you know, I I don't know if I should take that as a compliment or an insult. So um, maybe both. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and." Um, you know uh, how it has changed my life is that it has made me it has made me realize my mortality 
It's made me recognize my demons. It's uh, it's helped me to um, to achieve things in my life that would have otherwise remained unachievable. And uh, I I I I uh, I'm firmly uh, believe that without masonry and um, and religion in my life my God, my religion, um, I probably wouldn't be alive today. So, You, you touched on something else that is something I, I see in you, I guess. You always seem to me like you're what I would describe a rugged individualist. I don't know if that term carries any baggage, but it's just something I think about. And yet at the same time, Masonry is an organization about brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Those two things seem like they would be at odds with each other, but... I don't think they are in you. I see. What do you think about that? I, you know, I, uh, the way I look at life is what you see is what you get. One day I'm wearing Levi's with, that are holy and I'm filthy dirty because I'm working hard. There's been many times when I've come to lodge, you know, I, I have been in the middle of work and I've dropped everything and come to lodge and everybody is dressed up in suits and ties and here I am showing up in Levi's and a t-shirt. You know, I believe, just as the first degree teaches us, that masonry regards no man on account of his worldly wealth or honors. It doesn't, masonry doesn't look at your clothes. Masonry doesn't look at the way your hair is parted. Masonry doesn't doesn't care what what color socks you wear. Masonry is strictly what's in your heart and what's in your mind. And um, if 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 your if what's in your heart and your mind is unpure, uh, you would have never have made it to Freemasonry in the first place. It, it would have would have never rang your bell, it would have never interested you. So there has to be any man that, that, that goes to Freemasonry has to have some good in him. Uh, and the premise to Freemasonry is taking that good and multiplying, right. making it better, making, making it as good as it can get. Uh, now, having said that, um, I've I've met gentlemen that have uh, that have been um, that have been removed from the fraternity because they've done something that has uh, caused them to, to some kind of criminal action or something has happened and you know if it's in your heart. Um, it's going to come out. And um, so for me, um, yeah, if you'd have known me, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you'd probably said, man, that guy could never be a Freemason. Now, you you know me now, you'd say, geez, you know, I don't know this guy any other way. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that's that's the way I like it. Who, who Who are the men in Masonry that you look up to that embody those ideals of Freemasonry? Oh, wow. 
Gee, <laughs> soft question. Holy moly! <laughs> uh, God, the list is uh, the list is. I you know what? Um, I guess the the number one, the first, the first one, and you probably you probably never guessed this coming out of me, but Archimedes um, probably is my number one choice. Uh, I didn't even know he was a Mason. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the amount of uh, the amount of intellectual engineering insight in that man uh just uh it just boggles my mind how how he came up with some of the ideas and principles that he did how many thousands of years ago ahead of his time that are that are today the the basis to uh fundamental engineering um uh, facts of superstructure and you know, the Archimedes screw, where would we be without that? We'd be in the Dark Ages. We'd be in the Stone Ages without the screw. And he was a mason. I didn't know that. Can you can you remember any of the, I would like to ask kind of on a lighter note, can you remember any of the funnier stories or anything uh, that makes you laugh when you think about your time in masonry? Because masons, what I've found, is tend to be, there's some jokesters out there for sure. We play practical jokes yeah. and have fun with each other. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, while you're thinking, one of the things that always makes me laugh is you started uh, when I was in masonry at the end of our meetings with everybody, when we closed the lodge, everybody goes, Yahoo! Oh, yeah. Where'd that come from? <clears throat> I, uh, I uh, I told the story one day, one night. I don't know if you were there. It wasn't because I would remember. Yeah, I uh, I told the story one night where I I gave some Masonic education to the brethren during open lodge, and um, I I I told the story of how our ancient brethren uh, they worked. Oh God. They they worked so hard. Their their endeavors. We we as modern humans don't understand truly what work is. Uh, but if we put ourselves in the position of the builders of King Solomon's temple, what it was like thirty five hundred years ago to be a laborer. To what to the engineering feats that that had to be overcome, the uh, the work ethic that was needed for these people to physically get up in the morning and say, "God, I got to do this again and again and again and again." And then I explained to the fact that our rituals denote this in all three degrees. They denote the work ethic and, and the striving towards excellence and um, you know the, the final building of King Solomon's temple. <clears throat> but nowhere in our rituals does it explain anything of what happened after the work bell was sounded. And 
Uh, excuse me for a moment. Sorry, right. Vic needs a key. Okay. <laughs> um, nowhere in our rituals is denoted what our brethren did after the closing bell, after the after the the five o'clock gavel was sounded, and and the workday comes to an end, and. I I contend that they didn't say, ah, you know, the workday's over with. I got to go home to the wife and the ball and chain and pay the bills. <laughs> and I don't think they did that. I don't. I think when that gavel hit the stone and it was the end of the workday, everybody went, Yahoo! We did it again. And you know what? They did it again. And they did it again. And every time. We suspend our labors. We should look back at our ancient brethren and say, you know what? Yahoo! It's another one for the record books. It's another one in a hundred years from now. Let's hope that Arizona Lodge Number 2 is still yelling Yahoo! at the sound of the closing bell. That would be cool. Let's hope that. Because... All the brothers come together and they work and we all work hard to, to perform the rituals to the best we can. And you know what? Once it's time to go home, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate what we did. Brings a tear to my eye. Me too. Me <laughs> so. any, any closing thoughts or anything else you'd want to say to people who might be listening? Well, I, you know... Uh, who who knows where this this recording will go? Who knows whether it's a year from now or ten years or a hundred years or five hundred years from now, if we're still here? Let's just hope that we can celebrate we can celebrate our our work and our life. And, and everything that it means to be human. Let's hope that we can we can celebrate these times and uh, hope that we can say Yahoo one more time. <laughs> Good note to end on. Thank you very much, Brad. It was my pleasure.